Let's jump in uh, to Scripture. If you got your Bibles, open to Galatians chapter 6 and then Genesis chapter 40. Galatians 6 and Genesis 40. Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever got offered something while you wait? Okay, while you wait. Um, the idea there is you go into a place and they offer you something while you're waiting for whatever the real reason you went in for. So, for example, I love going to get my oil changed at this specific place uh, in Alexandria. And they always give you like one of those mini bottles of water, okay? That's what they give you while you wait. You ever gotten the mini bottle of water before? It's just enough, you know, so that you don't have to go to the bathroom. You know, just enough water, okay? The half bottle of water. And then they also give another free item that I find very, very useful. And that is they provide a TV that plays Judge Judy, all right? And so again, just a great thing. If I did not have to work while Judge Judy's on, I'd watch that woman every day. I'm just telling you, great wisdom from the judge, all right? Anyway, all that to say, while you wait, some of you get coffee while you wait. Well, while I was working at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster, all right? Okay, we had a secret ace in the hole just in case you got in trouble. So waiters and waitresses, I'm going to speak your language for just a minute. Waited tables for four and a half years. Every now and again, we would have something that we call getting slammed, okay? Slammed meant that the host sat you numerous times in a row where you have all these people that have come in, and it's awful when they do that to you because you have to pick a favorite child. Whenever you walk out and see multiple tables in your section that you're about to wait on, somebody gets chosen first, and somebody gets chosen second, third, fourth, etc. Because of that, in order to get back in their good graces, we had an ace in the hole. The real reason that anyone goes to Red Lobster. And what is it? Cheddar biscuits, ladies and gentlemen. That is the real reason anyone goes to Red Lobster. Not for cut-rate seafood, but for those biscuits, all right? That's why you go to Red Lobster. So we had a rule that you couldn't bring the biscuits out until you had taken a drink order and you had also given them an opportunity and appetizer because once you bring the biscuits out, that's when they go, oh, that's the whole reason I came here anyway, and they don't buy as much stuff, all right? So our rule at our place of business was if you got double sat, they put two tables down or more at the same time, then you were able to bring the biscuits straight to the table and get your shot at 15% of a tip again, all right? That was just the way that it worked. Having something while you wait can be a really good thing, and in the case of Red Lion, lobster, maybe just maybe the while you wait was better than the seafood destination that you were going to in the first place. While you wait can be a really, really good time. Now listen to me. Something good is coming in our lives, not just in our relationship, not just in our work situations and our fringe situations, but something good is coming because Christ is coming again and we will be saved. But there is still blessing that happens on the way during the in-between time. One of the things I've noticed about D.C. is we are very much a carrot on the end of the stick people, all right? We've got places we want to be. We've got titles we want to hold. We've got blessings we want to have. We've got, again, positions we want to be in, relationships that we want to be in. And I'm telling you, there's a whole lot of temptation to just live for the carrot and miss out on the amazingness of the journey that God has put before us. Remember what Scripture says. Jesus said, I came that you would have life to the fullest, more abundantly. The abundant life is not just when you get the carrot and are on top of the mountain. Abundant life is also the entire journey that takes place at the same time. When we get to live for the carrot, we miss out on all the amazing blessings that God has right in front of us. If you're taking notes, a little great passage of Scripture here, Genesis, or Galatians chapter 6. And then we're going to jump back into our story in Genesis 40. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 6. 
He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, underline at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. There are two big things taking place here. The hard work that we are doing to live for Jesus Christ as a disciple and at the proper time in God's perfect timing, he will provide for us and good things are going to happen. But good things don't just happen when we get the carrot or when we're on top of the mountain. Good things are happening for us from God all the way through the process. Think of it this way. There are some of you that have been waiting for something and you are truly just waiting on pins and needles going, God, when are you going to provide this thing for me? When are you going to do this for me? When are you going to give me that job or that title that I desire so deeply? When am I going to have that forever relationship? When am I going to be with that person who's my husband or my wife? When am I finally going to be financially secure and out of debt so that I can do some of the things that I want to do? When am I finally going to have friends, real friends that I can be open and honest with? When am I going to find success? And you long for those things so deeply, but the journey to those things are also filled with blessings from Almighty God, no matter what circumstance it is that you're in. It's a crazy example, but I hope it sticks with you. You ever been on a road trip before? and you had to go to the bathroom really, really badly. Have you had that happen before? I don't know about you, but when I get in that circumstance, I have a very weak bladder, okay? So when I get in that circumstance, there was way too much information for some of you, okay? I'm telling you, I'll be driving, and then I will pray this prayer. I'll be in the middle of nowhere, and I'll pray, Lord, would you just let there be a bathroom over the ridge? Have you ever prayed that prayer before? Now, here's why that's a ridiculous prayer. Because the nuts and bolts of praying, Lord, please let there be a bathroom right over this ridge, right? The nuts and bolts of that prayer are, Lord, please let someone years ago have had the foresight to dig a water line all the way to that spot. Lord, please let someone have had a vision to reach people with a convenience store right there on that corner. Lord, please let them have enough patrons that pass by. Please let them be able to afford housing so that they could open up a shop so that I could use the restroom right there. Now listen, what you've just prayed for is actually a pretty big prayer when you're asking for a restroom right over the ridge. Now listen, all you can think about is how badly you got to go to the bathroom. It's all consuming, and yet your brain immediately goes to the worst. What if I don't find a restroom? What if it doesn't happen? What if the blessing doesn't come? If it doesn't come quickly, then I'm really going to be in trouble. And here's the deal. That urgency, it's one thing when you're waiting for a bathroom on the highway. It's another thing when you're waiting for that forever friendship. It's another thing when you're waiting for that job, when you're waiting for those things that we talked about moments ago. Paul says... If we do good and don't give up, that God is at work on our behalf and he will provide good things when at the proper time he will provide those things for us. If you're taking notes, write this down. A little encouragement for you today. You ready? God has not forgotten you. Let me say that again. God has not forgotten you. The lie of the devil is to whisper in your ear when you are desperate for that carrot, desperate to be on top of the mountain, desperate for that blessing, to believe that God doesn't care. The God who created the universe, who breathed and the stars came to be, the God who snapped his fingers, who spoke a word and the universe was formed, I promise you he has not forgotten you. So it begs our big million-dollar question today. What should we do while we're waiting on God? What should we do while we're waiting for him to act on our behalf or even on behalf of someone around us? Well, praise God, we got a study in that in Genesis chapter 40. Flip over to Genesis chapter 40. 
and we'll continue our study of the life of Joseph starting in verse 20. Genesis chapter 40, and we'll start in verse 20. Now, just for the record, if you are in a situation where you are waiting on God today, this is a very practical message for you. I encourage you to take some notes on this one, okay? In the story that we've been studying, Joseph, remember, has a vision, has a dream that he is going to be uh, raised up in the stars and the heavens and that he is going to be one who takes care of his family and is a beacon of light and hope for Almighty God, Yahweh. So he tells his brothers about the dream and how do they prepare? pay him, they sell him into slavery. Remember, they sell him to the Ishmaelites, who then sell him to a guy named Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, he gets accused of sexual assault. He does not do this thing. And in fact, he was a slave. If there had been even a shred of, of, a, of evidence on this, they would have put him to death. Instead, there's no, there's no evidence other than uh, Potiphar's wife holding on to his cloak. He ends up going into a federal prison. He's waiting for Pharaoh to make a decision on, uh, on, how he's gonna, on what he's going to do with this guy. And so he's in prison. While he's in prison, wrongfully accused, he's waiting uh, again just to figure out what's going to happen, but he decides to have a good attitude, to still try to work hard, and he does such a good job, the warden begins to put him as a mentor over other federal prisoners who are wrongfully accused that come into the system, including a cupbearer and a baker who work directly for Pharaoh, the one guy that can actually get him out of this circumstance. So all of a sudden, these two men, the cupbearer and the baker, after some period of time has passed, they have a dream on the same night that lets them know something is about to happen. Remember last week we studied about the dreams. Pharaoh, or in the dream, for the cupbearer, it finds out that through the dream, Joseph interprets it and tells him, your dream means that in three days, you're going to be working for Pharaoh as his cupbearer again. And then, man, we got the baker and he goes, whoa, that sounds like great news. Here's what I dreamed. And Joseph goes, eh, your news is not as good. He's going to hang you in three days. Now here's the deal. Joseph had the guts to tell the good and the bad. And to the cupbearer, he says, when you get out, tell Pharaoh what God did for you, what Yahweh did for you through me to interpret your dream. Speak well of me. Tell him my story so that I can get out of here and be with you in service. Now, all that to be said, we then have this moment where Joseph is waiting, all right, and so are the cupbearer and the baker. And look at what happens in verse 20. Here's what it says. It says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. Circle, highlight, and underline Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. Stop right there for just a minute. What we have in this part of the passage is just as Joseph has predicted from the dreams that these two men had, three days later, Pharaoh has his birthday and he remembers the cupbearer and the baker. Now here's why that's important. Remember, we talked about this last week. The biggest way to assassinate an official at this point during this day and time was through poison. The cupbearer tastes the food and tastes the wine before it ever goes to Pharaoh's lips. And so it's a very trusted position that you have to have. The baker is the one who puts the food together. So again, a very important and trusted cabinet position in the ancient world. So what happens? These two men are in limbo in jail and they're sitting there going, is this uncertainty ever going to change? Is anything ever going to happen? I just feel like I'm in a holding pattern in my life. But Pharaoh's birthday was coming. Pharaoh's birthday is the day that Pharaoh remembers because he has to cook a meal for all his officials. He remembers the baker and he remembers the trustworthiness of the cupbearer. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should we do while waiting on God? Number one, we should expect change. 
expect change. There are some of you in this room, and the whisper of the devil is you're going to be here forever. You're going to be trapped in limbo forever. Nothing's ever going to change. He's never going to propose. She's never going to go out with you. And all of a sudden, we have this swirling about us where we go, ah, nothing's going to change. It's always going to be this way. It's always going to be in limbo. Can I tell you some good news? Change is coming. Change is constant. In fact, change is the thing we can always count on. Change will always take place. You ever heard somebody do this for you? Back in the day, I used to talk to my mom and dad about relationship difficulties. This is back when I'm in junior high and high school. And it really wasn't relationship difficulties. It was more like the lack thereof. You know what I mean? <laughs> Did you ever have one of those conversations with somebody you love? Or when I was an athlete that the coach wasn't starting me and somebody else was starting. Or it was, again, I was trying to make good enough grades to get into college. And I'm telling you, I would just gush about these things. Well, my dad used to say this, and don't say this to your 14-year-old, okay? My dad would look at me at different points, and he would say, son, I don't care. <laughs> and then he'd go, but I care about you. Now, just for the record, that's what a lot of people think. You probably shouldn't say it. You know what I mean? He would. I mean, it was just, it was, that's just how he was. One of the other bits of advice that he would give used to make me so mad when I was younger, but I understand it a little bit now that I've gotten older. You ever somebody say this to you? It'll all work out. You ever heard it'll all work out? When I was younger, in my teens and 20s, I hated it'll all work out because I heard that, and what I heard from them saying that was, I don't want to listen to you anymore. That's what I heard, and it'll all work out. Can I tell you what I've learned as I've gotten older? It'll all work out is the older generation's way of looking at you and saying, change will happen. Something's got to happen. Some change has to take place, and it will not be this way forever. Listen to me. It'll work out is their way of saying to you, I hear you, but I'm not God. I don't know how it all plays out. I just know something's going to happen. And is that a good word? It'll all work out, is their way of saying to you, it's going to be okay. You just have to trust. This has happened to me recently. The example I hope sticks with you. So this time of year, you ever gotten in a car with frosted windows before? Okay. This time of year, my wife's car parks in a direction where the sun shines down, and so uh, her car stays a little bit warmer, and she doesn't have this problem as often. My little car, I mean, it could be 50 degrees, and somehow there's still frost on that window when I get out there in the morning. And so I get out there, and here's what happened. I should have bought a scraper by this point, okay? I really should have, okay? But instead, I walk out and I get in the car, and what happens? You're moving fast, fast, fast. Go, 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 because that's our city. And I sit down in the car, and all of a sudden, you turn on the windshield wipers, and sheet, sheet. nothing happens, right? It just stays, and you go, oh, no. Defrost, heat all the way. Four, because mine goes up to four. Four. You turn it all the way up, and then all of a sudden, what do you do in the car? All of a sudden, you second guess, and you dream of the carrot, the carrot being that you could get on the road and drive again, that you could start moving towards work. That's the dangling carrot for me that morning in the moment, and I go, I should really get a scraper. I should have come downstairs with a lukewarm cup of water. You really shouldn't do that, but at least I could be moving at this point, right? I just would love to be moving. And then you feel like it's never going to go away, that the frost is always going to be there. But after about five minutes, all of a sudden you click the windshield wipers and about half of the window is clear. 
You wait for another two, three minutes, and all of a sudden, the windshield is open again, and you can get on your way, and you can move towards your goal. The enemy wants you thinking in hopelessness that it will always be hopeless, that there is nothing that can happen, there is no change that can take place. It will always be like this, but that's a lie straight from the pits of hell. Hope, hope we have in Jesus Christ because he is the one who holds the future, amen? We gotta remember, the frost will eventually go away. You ever done this before? The frost is about halfway gone and you go, that's probably good enough for me to drive like this. (laughs) Guess what happens when you don't wait? When you don't wait, you could hurt yourself or God forbid you could hurt someone else that you love or care about or even just an innocent bystander around you. Listen to me. Waiting is not God's hatred on you. Waiting is the Lord's way of saying, change is coming. Be ready. But when the time is right, I will act on your behalf. Look with me, if you will. By the way, if you're taking notes, write this down. Uncertainty is not permanent. Write that down. Uncertainty is not permanent. The devil wants you thinking that it is, but it absolutely is not. Now flip over to Matthew chapter 24, and I want to read you verses 42 through 44. Here's what Jesus has to say when it comes to eternity, and it fits for eternity, but it also fits for our day-to-day lives as well, when you're waiting on God to show up on your behalf. Look at what it says here, verse 42. Jesus says, therefore keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let him in the house to be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This goes again for eternity. He will come when the time is right and he will reconcile us to him. But at the same time, the blessings of God come when we least expect it. Like a thief in the night, scripture says. Jesus shows up on our behalf. God acts on our behalf and he blesses us. There are some of you in this room and you are dreaming of that forever relationship and you're sitting there going, oh, Lord, I'm in the depths. I can see the carrot, but for some reason I just can't ever reach it. Lord, why won't you bless me? Why won't you take care of me? What are you supposed to do while you wait? Know that change is coming. If you're waiting for that forever relationship, you know one of the best things you can do right now? Deal with the baggage, the emotional baggage that you're carrying around. It's a whole lot better to do it now than when God puts that forever friendship or relationship in front of you. Start working on what you can work on. Unburden the baggage, and then you'll be ready when that relationship comes to move fast. There's some of you in this room who said, well, Zach, I've been praying for a job. I need money to be able to survive, to eat. I need a job. When's God going to provide that carrot? When's God going to provide that moment on the mountaintop? I'm not even asking for much. I just need something to get me through, some blessing to get me through the day. Listen to me. Expect change. To live with expectation, to know that the Lord will act on your behalf when it comes to a job situation is to update the resume. Get the resume ready. When I was out of work, I struggled to put on pants. I'm being honest with you. I couldn't get out of bed. I felt worthless. And I didn't want to get dressed. And I didn't want to shave. And so can I tell you what would happen? I would lay in bed with the covers pulled up to my chin. And Autumn would go, are you going to go look today? And I'd go, "Ah, what's the use? And I'd lay in the bed. 
I was so beat down emotionally from what I'd experienced, I was going, if somebody calls, then I'll get up and move. You know what I've learned over the years? If that's you and you are waiting, how you wait with expectancy if you're looking for a job is you get up in the morning, you update that resume to the hour so that if somebody calls you, you are ready, you get dressed, you shave, so that if someone calls you and says, hey, uh, we got a job opening, Uh, any chance you want to come in on Monday? Your response is, how about now? I can come now if you need me to. There's a lot of jobs that I got that were way above my head, and it was because I was available at a moment's notice and not because I was the best candidate. I can promise you that. To wait with expectancy is to say, Lord, I know the blessing is on the horizon. I trust you that change is coming, and I will plan my life accordingly so that I am ready when the moment happens. There will be oil in my lamp, and I'm ready for the change that the Lord is going to bring. It begs the question, are you prepared to move quickly? Are you prepared to move quickly when that change happens? Are you ready to receive it? Or are you the person that goes, Lord, I need at least two months' notice? before I get my blessing. I need a whole lot of time to plan for this. The best blessings I've found, especially in this city, happen when you are ready on a dime for whatever it is that God has called you to. When I was younger, I wanted to start preaching. And I said to my dad at one point, I said, hey, dad, uh, I'm 21. I said, hey, dad, uh, if you ever hear anybody needing somebody to preach, I said, "Uh, give me a call. I said, have them give me a call. Dad's response was, he goes, son, you ever written a sermon? And I go, um, I'll do that when I have a venue. I go, really, I tailor my, my sermons for the audience. <laughs> he goes, commendable, commendable, like a pro. <laughs> he said, your first sermon's pretty hard to write. He said, what if you wrote your sermon and then we prayed God gave you a place to preach it? I was desperate enough. I did it. And you know what was nuts? I did tailor part of it to fit the audience that we were talking to, that I was talking to. But in the end... I don't think I could have put it together in time if I hadn't spent the time up front working on how it was going to come together. Do you expect God to act on your behalf? Because when you don't, what you're saying is, I'm keeping the covers up to my chin because I really don't expect God to do anything. I don't expect anything to change. And that, my friends, is faithlessness. And it demeans God's sovereignty. Let's keep moving. Look at what happens next. Genesis chapter 40, and let's read verses 21 and 22. Look at what it says next. So again, Pharaoh has his birthday. He calls in the chief baker and the cupbearer. Verse 21, it says, he restored the chief cupbearer, underline restored, the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Look at verse 22. But he hanged the chief baker, underline hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them, in his interpretation. Now stop there for just a minute. What I'm about to share with you really messed with me this week. I'm reading this passage of scripture, and as I'm going through, this jumped out at me in a little bit different way. For the cupbearer, the stretch in prison, he would have viewed as some of the worst and darkest days of his entire life. But for the baker, the days in prison were the best days he had left. Hear me when I say that. Those three days after the dream, those three days were the best three days that he could possibly ever have left. Now listen to me. You don't know if you have tomorrow. 
So if you live for the carrot and everything fits, when I finally get that carrot, everything will be good. When I finally get on top of that mountain, everything's going to make sense. When I finally get that thing that I've been searching for, that I've been longing for, that relationship that I desire so deeply, then everything's going to work out. You don't know if you've even got tomorrow. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should we do while waiting on God? Number one is expect change. And number two is enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey whether restoration is in your future or again, these are the last days that you'll ever get to spend. We've got to come to a point where we value each and every one of them. It's why Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to what? To the full, to the full means that if the fullest possible moment for you is a 10, then man, live it to the full. But if the biggest you can live at this point because of restrictions is a three, then dude, make sure you get the three and you don't take a two. Live it to the full. Enjoy the days that God has given you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Make the best use of all your days. Make the best use of all your days. I've told you this story before, but it fits here perfectly. Guys, remember, we were originally supposed to plant Waterfront Church and move here in January of 2014, but we delayed We delayed getting the church services started because my dad had just come on as the interim pastor at our church. He would eventually become the full-time pastor at the church I'd worked at for five years. It was always a dream of mine that my dad and I would get to work side by side one day. I just thought it would happen much later. So my dad comes up to me in October and he says, son, I need you to delay moving to DC for six months. He said, you were here at the church for five years. I was the associate pastor and the interim pastor. He said, I need you to stay six more months and make the handoff to me so that it's as seamless as possible. And you know what I told him? No. I said, I'm not doing that. I said, you just don't want me to plant the church. You think if I'm here for six more months that I'll stay and we will end up not moving to D.C. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And dad looked at me and he goes, son, will you just pray about it? And I was like, that is a dirty trick. (laughs) he knew i could argue with him but i couldn't argue with god i go home i sit with autumn autumn goes what's wrong i said dad wants us to stay six months not plant the church wait and she goes actually i think that's a really good idea i said did he talk to you she goes no she goes we pay off some debt get ready to play get ready to move She goes, I think this would be a really good thing. She goes, you could work with your dad. You've always wanted to do that. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. We're sticking to the plan. This is the plan, right? We're getting the carrot. We're sticking to the plan. We're getting on top of the mountain. She goes, well, maybe you should pray about it. And I was like, you are a jerk, all right? (laughs) So I prayed about it, and guess what the Lord said? Stay for six months. It was a glimpse of heaven. I got to work with my dad, who was my best friend, side by side for six months. And this has continuously done a number on me. 36 hours before we moved, my dad complained of stomach pains that would end up being the neuroendocrine stage three pancreatic cancer that he was navigating. I didn't just get six months with my dad. I got almost to the day the best six months he had left. When God says wait, he's not doing it to mess with you. Do you hear me? He's not doing it to mess with you. 
And he's not saying, I have blessing for you, but not right now. I have blessing for you, but you're just going to have to wait. It's in the distance a little bit further. It's the Lord looking at us going, you don't know this yet, but this is for your good and for the good of those around you. In the end, I praise God. I got to work with my dad side by side for six months. And there wasn't going to be another opportunity to do that. Only God knew. There's a great passage of scripture I want to read to you. Save your spot in Genesis and flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 7. By the way, when you read Ecclesiastes, sometimes when you're younger, you can read it this way. It sounds like an old man on a rocking chair on the porch going, meaningless, everything's meaningless. And you kind of hear, it stinks, this world stinks, everything stinks. And when you read it, meaningless doesn't mean everything stinks. When you read chapter 9, you get insight into what meaningless actually is. Look at what the writer says. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. This is the idea of enjoying the journey. Look at what he says. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7. He says, Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now, look at this, that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days, look at this, of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All of your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and it is your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Now stop there for just a minute. That last verse is D.C. No planning... No work, no knowledge, no wisdom. What they throw out there at the end is everything we do in our meaningless days. The idea there, the meaningful days are the days you get hold of the carrot, are the days that you're on top of the mountain. But God has given us these beautiful days, and I love the way he says it. He says, those days that you have God's favor, the favor of God is not on the mountaintop. The favor of God is in in your normal days. You get to pick what you want to eat that you get to pick what you want to drink, that you get to enjoy and love your family that are in your corner, whether it's your spouse or your extended family. You get to have a family. He says you get to work. Whether it's a job you enjoy or one you can't stand, you at least get to do that. You get to live in freedom. And he says, and there will come a time when you will no longer have breath in your lungs. And that favor will not rest upon you. Meaningless days isn't meaningless. Everything's meaningless. That's my rocking chair. Meaningless, all right? Everything's meaningless. It stinks. Meaningless days are the ones where you go, I get to choose. God Almighty loved me enough that I get to choose if I eat chicken or fish for lunch. God Almighty loved me so much, I have the opportunity to be grateful for the family that he's given me. I have the opportunity to work. Whether it's a job that I feel like is my final destination or not, I have the ability to work. And in the end, the time will come when I don't get to do that anymore. It begs the question, how are you using your meaningless days? Are you using them pining for the carrot? Or do you enjoy them to the full? If you're the person always looking over the fence... God's given you great relationships. Why not just live it to a 10 today? For some of you, God's given you a great career 
instead of looking over the fence at what could be, why not just enjoy the heck out of where he's put you today? Instead of being so angry, what if we truly just enjoyed the journey? Let's keep moving. Last verse and we'll close. Now flip over to Genesis again. And we're going to look at verse 23. I wish I could tell you that the story ended good. Genesis chapter 40 ends pretty rough. In fact, it ends the same way it began. Are you ready? Look at what it says. It says, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Now stop right there for just a minute. Some of you have been around for this study for Genesis 40. Do you remember the three words that we started this passage with? Some time later. Genesis 40 begins with God at work and Joseph waiting. It goes through Joseph doing the right thing the whole way through. And it ends with Joseph saying to the cupbearer, Yahweh is going to act on your behalf. I'm calling the shot. You're going to get out in three days. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer goes off and goes, huh, I did get out in three days. Excellent. And he puts his nose to the grindstone and he forgets Joseph. He forgets the work that Yahweh had done for him in getting him out and showing him favor in the sun shining down upon him. And he forgets Joseph. The first two points when it comes to what do we do while waiting, we learn from the character of Joseph, expect change and enjoy the journey. But number three is what we learn in accordance with what we shouldn't do or in what we should do that the cupbearer does not. Are you ready for number three? What should we do while waiting on God? Number three is express gratitude. Express gratitude. The cupbearer at this point, his life is different after meeting Joseph. He's had an experience with God, a supernatural moment, but he forgets it because he doesn't need him anymore. And he moves forward. The passage ends the way it began. There's some of you in this room that need to hear this today. Joseph did nothing wrong for the cupbearer to forget him. Do you hear me? He did nothing wrong. His period of waiting is not because he was wicked. He had done everything right. His period of waiting is because God was crafting something. Are there people in your life that have helped you in really difficult days that God used to help you move forward and that maybe just maybe over time you forgot about them? If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Last quote today. God-given relationships that get us through difficult stretches are meant to be remembered and celebrated. Let me say that again. God-given relationships that get us through difficult stretches are meant to be remembered and celebrated. In my opinion, there is no greater example of this than those of you who have been bridesmaids before. You ever been a bridesmaid before? This is the bridesmaid point. If you've ever been a bridesmaid before, here's the problem. You get appointed to that position because you are a really good friend to that person. And then at the end of your tenure as a bridesmaid, if it's a godly wedding that takes place, she will leave you and then become best friends with her husband. That's the way it's supposed to go. In fact, it's Genesis 2.24. They will leave father and mother, leave the old life, cleave unto one another, and the two shall become one flesh. If it goes well and godly, then you get left in the cold then she leaves you for him. It's the way it works. Now here's what's nuts. You also sign on as a bridesmaid for the most lunatic portion of the friendship. 
Because they go nuts. Anybody goes nuts planning a wedding. It's just the way it goes. Plus, you go into debt for the dress. You go into debt for the parties. You go into, you go into craziness because you're having to plan it at work because nobody has enough time to help somebody plan a wedding. It's just the way it goes. And here's what happens. After it's over, you're left with the carnage, and they get to sail off in the sunset. Now listen, there are some of you, some of you are like, you said what I've always wanted to say. <laughs> There's my gift to you. There are some of you in here who've been brides, and you need to remember who was good to you. That God gave you that person to walk you through that time of difficulty and to assist and to help you. And maybe just maybe it's time you reach out and you remember them, you encourage them. On the same side, you ever had a best friend that listened to you whine about work over and over and over again? You ever had a best friend who listened to your relationship struggles, sat with you in the car while you talked about it, sat on the tailgate of the pickup truck or whatever to walk through all those different struggles? Or a trainer at work who spent time making sure you really understood how to do your job when anybody else would have just left you to the wolves and they would have just let you lose your job, but instead they stuck by you and they took care of you. Sometimes it's a teacher, it's a coach that pushed you and bent you but did not break you so that you could continue fighting forward and learn that powerful lesson, or even a pastor that walked you through a time of great difficulty. Listen to me. Those are God-given relationships, God-given hands and feet and ears to walk you through very, very difficult days. A godly person doesn't forget those people. A disciple remembers them, praises God for them, but then reaches out to encourage them as well. One last little story, and I'll close today. Had a tough day yesterday. Had to go do a funeral. Somebody who died way too young. And the way funerals work for pastors, um, the kind of secret of it is you don't grieve in the room. You're there for the family. And then you go and cry in the car. That's just kind of the way it goes uh, for pastors in funeral situations. You try to press through and press on because you want to be, again, a point of strength and hope. But you grieve as well when it's a friend or even, in this case, a child of a dear friend. And so um, I was hurting pretty good yesterday. And I go home and autumn has been planning night to shine. We've turned it into a verb at our house. The month before night to shine, we call night to shining. And so autumn was night to shining at the house. And when I got back, she was so tired, just so tired. And so to the point that she'd fallen asleep before eight o'clock, she was so tired. So I'm hurting. I want to talk. And the way that I kind of deal with stuff is I'll pray, but I also like to watch movies. And so I turned on Jimmy Stewart's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's one of my favorites. I turn on Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And as I'm watching the story, I just start to cry. I'm like sobbing. And it's not about Jimmy Stewart. It's not about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's, it's, about, it's about the funeral. And so I just start to cry. And I felt so alone. I knew Autumn needed to sleep. And so um, I have a really great gift. And that is, I have a key to that door right there. And so I got in my car, and I drove up here, and I knelt at the altar. I love getting to do this now. And I kneel at the altar, and I just cry out to God. And so I've told Denver he never needs to record what's going on here uh, after hours, because, again, I'm just down there calling out. It's probably a really awful singing voice. Not just, it is an awful singing voice. <laughs> 
that point, one of the reasons I love to worship in here is because I can still remember when Waterfront was just a vision to be able to see what the Lord has done. I also picture each of you. We have the four different services, but a lot of you sit in kind of similar places each week. And so I can picture you and just thank God for you. Anyway, I'm kneeling at the altar, I'm singing out praise to God. And then all of a sudden I said, Lord, I'm preaching about gratitude tomorrow. Is there anyone specifically you want to bring to mind? And like a lightning bolt, the Spirit said, Brad Morris. So Brad has the distinction of being patient zero for Waterfront Church. Brad was our very, very first church member. He was on the very first mission trip when I was 24 years old. He was 16 on the trip when we came to D.C. for the first time. Brad was the one who gave me my first tour of the Capitol. And the first ever Waterfront Church Bible study happened on the floor of the House of Representatives, just Brad and I together studying the book of Jeremiah. It was two months before the church even started. So I felt the Spirit say to call him. So it's 11 o'clock at night last night, and I call Brad. And Brad, of course, answered. He always answers. He answered, and he goes, what are you doing, dude? I said, man, I had a tough day. I said, I just wanted you to know I was thankful for you. Start pouring out my heart and telling him. And you know what he did? He started pouring back. He started pouring back. He started sharing points of great encouragement. And here's what's nuts. When you reach out to somebody who encouraged you in an hour of need, guess what that person typically does when you reach out? They pour out and breathe life on you again, just like they had done during that time that was difficult. And we end up having this beautiful moment. And at the end of it, he said, Zach, can I pray for you? And I was like, that's usually my move, all right? (laughs) He said, can I pray for you? I'm sitting there praying with him and just going, how beautiful, how beautiful. I called to encourage him, and Brad just did what he does. He encouraged me. It begs the question, have you forgotten someone? Is there someone in your life that helped you get to where you are that it's time you remembered because they maybe just maybe are in a time where they're in prison, maybe even literally, where they're hidden away and they're just waiting for somebody to remember them? I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. I want to tell you up front, there have been so many people touched by this passage of scripture today. I want to encourage you, don't tune out. Listen to what the Lord is saying to your heart today. With nobody looking but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I feel like I'm the one existing in that pattern of uncertainty, and I am ready to live with expectation that change is coming. With nobody looking around but just me, if that's you, if you would just indicate that by lifting your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. That's powerful. So many of you. So many of you, y'all can put your hands down. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is very simple. Pray this prayer. God, I trust you and I expect change. God, I trust you and I expect change is coming. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm the one who I've been living for the carrot 
and it's time I enjoyed the journey. That it wasn't just about achieving a title. It wasn't just about finding a relationship. It wasn't just about having financial security. That it's truly about finding the joy in the journey, living an abundant life, life to the full, 10 out of 10. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm making the commitment today. I will enjoy the journey. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands up. Maybe three-fourths of the room on that one. We live for the carrot in the city, don't we? With nobody looking but just me, if that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is very simple. Just cry out to God and say, God, I want to live life to the full. God, I want to live life to the full, not for the carrot, but I trust you in the moment. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, if I'm being honest, I forgot somebody. If I'm being honest, there are people in my life, bridesmaids, best friends, trainers at work, teachers, coaches, a pastor. And honestly, it's time I showed some gratitude. With nobody looking around but just me, if that's you, and the Spirit has laid someone specifically on your heart, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. It's powerful. It's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. And before the sun goes down tonight, you send a text, you place a call, you send an email, carrier pigeon, whatever it takes. You get in touch with them, and you encourage them. And you know what? I would not be shocked if they don't pour back to you. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you so much for the way that you're moving. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who expect change, who enjoy the journey, and that we express gratitude. Thank you for the example of Joseph. And Lord, I thank you that you were faithful to him. I pray that in this time of waiting, that you would push us forward and that these days would be good days. We have no clue where it falls on the spectrum of our life. I pray that we would trust you with all who we are. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray.